Good morning. I want to welcome you again to Glad Tidings Online Sunday morning. Thank you so much for uh, worshiping with us. Uh, we thank you so much for being faithful. And uh, week after week, I know we're still um, all of us looking forward to when we can join together again and worship together. But until then, uh, you have been so faithful to be a part of these services and our prayer nights or prayer time every night. So thank you for doing that. And uh, we're excited about what God has in store for us in these next few moments that we share together. And I want to begin, if I could, just by praying. And uh, then we're going to open the word up together and, and learn together and, and be challenged by the Holy Spirit. Would you just uh, bow your hearts with me in prayer? Father, thank you so much for uh, the great privilege that we have to worship together. And Lord, none of us uh, expected this several months ago. This was not our intention. But we do know that what the enemy means for evil, you, Lord, are able to turn for good. And we believe, God, that listening this morning and watching this service are the very people that um, you destined to hear this word. And we believe, God, that your word is alive and powerful. And it is going to challenge our hearts today. It's going to stir us, convict us. And draw us closer to you and to one another as the people of God. So I just pray that in these moments, as we share your word, as we worship together, uh, that you would just grace us in a powerful way with your presence. And I pray, Lord, even through the medium of the internet, that hearts would be touched and the Holy Spirit would, would begin to stir and work in each of us. Be glorified in this place today. Be glorified in our lives. We are your temple. Stir us. Make us more like you. I pray for your anointing to rest upon my life and the ministry of your word today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, this morning, Hebrews chapter 10. And I want to read to you in just a moment from Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 19. It's the text that we have... Um, been looking at for the last uh, two Sundays. This will be the third, and uh, it will be the final uh, message in this three-part series when we all pull together. And uh, if you were with us the first Sunday, you will remember that, uh, and I've titled this series after a, a song that I learned in children's church many years ago, and I know it was probably brutal to listen to, but I sang it to you the first week. But we have um, uh, kind of a special guest with us this morning. Uh, I got an internet or an, a Facebook live video of one of our own children singing this song, and I'm assuming maybe her uh, mom and dad taught it to her, but uh, uh, or her grandma. Is that maybe? Okay, well, that's good enough. So Eliana is going to come. Eliana um, Loveless is going to come, and she's going to sing this better than I probably could have ever sung it. Eliana's mom and dad are Brandon and Renee, and her grandparents are Bob and Rena Scroggins. And um, just take it away. Sing it to us, all right? When we all pull together, 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 we all pull together, how happy we'll be for your work is my together, how happy we'll be. 
How about that? Thank you so much. Good job. Thank you. And doesn't she look beautiful? Oh my goodness. Show them your shoes. Hold your shoes up. Let them see your shoes. How about that? She was ready for this morning. Thank you, Eliana. Thank you so much. So when we all pull together, how happy will be. Let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 10. The writer says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. And here's where we really began a couple of weeks ago. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider, this was our focus last week, one another in order to stir up love and good works. And then verse 25 is where we're really going to hone in this morning not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. Now, it's a little bizarre that um, I am preaching about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, on a Sunday when we are not able to assemble ourselves together. But we are preparing ourselves for that time that we can uh, return um, I planned this series months ago that, that I would be preaching uh, these three messages, and I really feel like they've been very timely. And although this one may seem like the oddest of the three, I think this one may be even the most timely for this particular season that we are in. So as we close this series, I want to recall again the words that Eliana sang to us just a moment ago. When we all pull together, 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 when we all pull together, how happy we'll be. For your work is my work, and my work, or our work, is God's work. When we all pull together, how happy we'll be. I want to remind you again of the quote to the Polish priest, Mitzalal Malinsky, who said this, It is easiest to see the cross on Jesus' shoulders. It's a bit harder with our neighbor's cross. Most difficult of all is seeing our own cross, and sometimes... Even more difficult, it is to see it on the shoulders of the congregation, especially our own congregation. And then he ends this, and this has kind of been our jumping point or jump off point every week. Yet cross bearing is for the body of Christ, not as well as the individual. This series has been a reminder of our shared responsibility. That is that you have a responsibility with me. We have a responsibility together to carry the cross for each other. That is also the focus of the words of the Hebrews author. Too often we have lost in the contemporary church what it means to to fellowship with one another. Uh, We have kind of contorted and perverted and twisted the meaning of that word fellowship The Greek word for fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. And koinonia is a word that has much deeper implications than just what has become known in the church today as fellowship. 
It's the word that we find in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Shortly after Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 were saved, the Bible says that the early church, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, koinonia, and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Fellowship is much more than a potluck dinner after a Sunday service or dinner on the grounds or more than trivia night with snacks. Fellowship is much broader than that and has much deeper significance. Biblical fellowship, koinonia, is to go much broader, much deeper than just sharing a meal across the table. It is shared experience. Koinonia is joint partnership. It is communion. It is sharing together with community. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, Paul says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the koinonia, the fellowship of his son. That's not just eating a meal with Jesus. That is communion with him. It is shared experience. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16, Paul says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion, the koinonia of the blood of Christ? Fellowship with the blood of Christ. The bread which we break, is it not the koinonia, the communion with the body of Christ? In 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, excuse me, chapter 13 and verse 14, Paul ends by saying the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion, the koinonia of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And then in Hebrews 13 and verse 16, the writer of Hebrews says, and don't forget to do good and to share koinonia. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. God's not, it's not that God is well pleased, not that he's not, but not that he's well pleased with us sharing a pizza across a table. This is about something deeper than that. Koinonia, shared communion with one another. It is a willingness to share responsibility with other members in the body of Christ or the team that is taking responsibility for one another. In week one of this series, we learned how important it is to encourage one another to endure. When someone else is struggling, we are to encourage them and, and encourage them to persevere and to endure, to hold on to our confession without wavering. Last week, we discussed the importance of considering one another when we worship, to not just think about ourselves and what we want and what kind of music we want, but we are to consider one another when we worship. And we talked about the fact that Hebrews 10, 24 says that. Consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. We talked about three things specifically that we are to consider. Number one, we are to consider who am I worshiping with? Who is this person? They are a fellow pilgrim in this journey. They are a member of the family of God. And then secondly, we talked about, we are to talk about or to consider how they've come to this place. What is their story? What have they been through? I, I'm not to judge them, but where are they right now? What have they walked through to get to this place? And then thirdly, we are to consider what can I do to help them as they worship with me? How can I stir them up to good works? How can I set a godly example? pray for them and love them. You know, we may have uh, done more of this kind of thing in the last few weeks than ever before. But I'm not so concerned with how well we may have done in the last few weeks, but 
What's it going to look like when we come back and when we return? Is what we have learned as the body of Christ in these weeks when we've not been able to gather, is that going to be all for naught? Or are we going to take these lessons and apply them and learn them and, uh, and walk them out in our experience as the body of Christ? Or is everybody going to go their own way and do their own thing? Or are we going to pray and continue in this mode of communion and koinonia and shared fellowship? How can we better learn to be the people of God? How can we better learn to be the body of Christ? Seems simple, but when we all pull together, how happy we'll be. Cross-bearing is for the body of Christ, not just for the individual. So today, we've learned that we are to encourage one another to persevere. We've learned that we are to consider one another when we worship. But today I want to talk about the third piece, and that is that we need to learn to cheer one another. To cheer one another on in this race that we call our spiritual journey. The writer of Hebrews describes this walk, this Christian walk, as a race. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded or compassed about by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which easily ensnares us. And look at this phrase, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. When um, we lived in Winchester, Kyle... I think was the only, uh, I know he's the only member of my immediate family, maybe the only Holt who has ever run on a cross-country team. Now, I'm thankful we don't have a sanctuary full of people because you'd all be laughing because you would understand why. But we are not exactly known for our running skills. But Kyle spent one year, <laughs> one year on the driver middle school cross-country team. And... Um, there were a lot of parents that would run the course with their kids or run along the fence and they would cheer them on. I would have loved to have done that, but I was not one of those parents that was able to do that or keep up with them. And so I kind of tried to get him help down the last leg. But I remember those parents cheering their children on in the race. We moved into Muncie and Kayla um, was on the swim team at Wilson Middle School. And I remember her coach, it was a little annoying at the time, but she would be along the side of the pool and she'd be screaming at them, swim, swim, and be louder and louder. But she was just cheering them on in the race. Part of the meaning of koinonia or fellowship is to cheer one another on in this spiritual race. Even the writer of Hebrews understood that. That's why he talks about we are to run with patience the race that is set before us. Interestingly, Catholics call this the communion of the saints. Now, they may have gone a little overboard with it, but yet there is a truth that sometimes we as Protestants totally miss altogether. Protestant pastor... In the late 1800s, James Dodd said this. I want you to listen closely. He wrote this, death separates the soul from the body. But it does not cut off the dead from communion with either the father or the son, who is the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob. 
He is the God not of the dead, but of the living. Of the whole family of the saints, some are in heaven and some on earth. And between those who are there and those who are here, there is communion. Now think about this for just a moment. I think all of us believe that Abraham and Isaac and Moses and Jacob and our loved ones who have already gone, that they are literally in communion with the Father and the Son. Right now, as we are sharing this moment, we believe that our loved ones, some of you have lost family members in the last few days, but you believe that they are already having communion with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so do we. Every single day, we are communing with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Since the heavenly church received Abel as its first member, there has been increasing fellowship between the militant and the glorified saints. Those who are here are shut out by the tabernacle of the body from personal intercourse with the souls of the departed. We don't believe that we can have relationship with them, we do with God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But we are yet in a fellowship with them that is very real and precious. The holy dead act upon the living and it may be are reacted reacted upon in ways we don't understand. But of Abel, we are told that being dead, yet he speaks. Even though he is gone, he is in communion with the Father and his story still speaks to us. And the same God that we are in communion with, those who have passed on are also in communion with. It's the communion, the koinonia of the people of God. And we have that opportunity with those who are here, who are still a part of God's family here on earth. I want to talk about for the next few minutes, and I'll be quick, Three things. I want to talk about the subtle danger of avoiding our responsibility. I want to talk about the crucial nature of embracing our responsibility. And I want to talk about the powerful motivation for accepting our responsibility. Let's begin by talking about the subtle danger of avoiding our responsibility. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says, not forsaking, and please note the underlying part, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. There are two English words in this very first phrase that are the same Greek word. Those two words are assembling and together, and the Greek word is epsynagoge. It's where the word synagogue comes from. It, it speaks of assembling together. So assembling and together are the same words. Interestingly, the Greek word for church is ekklesia. And the word ekklesia is used 114 times in the New Testament. And it simply means a group of people called out from their homes together in one place. That's what ekklesia is. A group of people that are called out from their homes together in one place. Ekklesia. 74 times ecclesia is translated church in the New Testament. 35 times church is. 
three times assembly, two times congregation. But in every instance, it speaks of people coming out so that they can come together. That's what the word church means. Those who have come out so they can come together. So it is clear that the church is to be a gathered people. That's always been the, been the case. Now, people suggest, well, I can serve God and not go to church. I can have a relationship with God and not walk in a church building. And yet the church is the people. That is true. But the gathering of the people is what we are called to do. Now, certainly that is far more challenging right now on this particular Sunday in 2020 than it's been really in any time that most of us have ever known. It's difficult to come together. And yet that is what God has called the people of God to do. He has chosen that we come together so that we can engage one another. You cannot provoke someone to good works that you are never with. You cannot consider someone that you're worshiping with if you're not there worshiping with them. So the writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling, the coming together of yourselves, as is the manner of some. There's a lot of reasons people disassociate themselves from the church. Sometimes it's simple neglect. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Sometimes people just simply neglect the church. They get all caught up in other things and they neglect the gathering of the people of God. Sometimes it's just spiritual sluggishness. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have, look at this, you have become dull. The word dull is the Greek word nothros. It's slow, sluggish, languid. Sometimes we just get spiritually sluggish and slumbersome and, and, and lazy. And, and, and some people it's neglect. Some people it's just they have become spiritually dull. They're spiritually sluggish. Lazy spirituality, I got out of the habit. How many times have I heard that as a pastor? Well, we just kind of got out of the habit. It's no longer as important to me as it once was. The people in the book of Hebrews forsook the assembling of themselves together, some of them because it seemed like Jesus would never return. They thought he was going to come soon and he didn't, and they just got busy doing other things. Sometimes the people in the first century as today are a little hesitant to become identified with other believers. The people in the first century were because they were afraid they might get persecuted. Sometimes we have other reasons, but we don't really want to identify ourselves with those people. I think the biggest reason today that people forsake the assembling of themselves together is competing priorities. So many other things to do now. All of a sudden, the ball games have stopped. All of a sudden, the recitals have ended. There's no more sporting events, no more competitions. And we've had a chance to kind of think about it now. What do all of those things have to do with eternity? What do all of those things that we have enjoyed so much that suddenly we're just cut off, what do those things do for our eternity? Are we getting the word of God into the lives of our children? Are we teaching our young people that Jesus is not just priority, but he is the center of our lives? Now, here's the sad reality. I want you to 
Look at me for just a moment. I guess you're looking through a screen, but look at me for just a moment. We have proven over the last few weeks that we can give and keep the church going without coming here. Uh, We have proven that we can spectate church really well without coming here. But the writer of Hebrews says we are to consider one another when we worship. We are to, to encourage one another when we worship. We are to provoke one another to good works when we worship. We can't do that unless we are together. Eugene Peterson has written this, love cannot exist in isolation away from others because love will bloat into pride. Grace cannot be received privately, cut off from others. It is perverted into greed. Hope cannot develop in solitude, separated from the community. It goes to seed in the form of fantasies. Listen, no gift, no virtue can develop and remain healthy apart from the community of faith. Outside the church, there is no salvation, is not ecclesiastical arrogance, but spiritual common sense confirmed in everyday experience. You can never really become everything God wants you to be without the rest of the body of Christ. You just can't do it. You can't really be formed as a spiritual person without the rest of the body. Anne Lamott wrote this, spiritual formation is so often couched in individualistic terms that it's easy to forget the important role that the church community plays in our growth. She goes on to share a story that she once heard from her pastor It illustrates well, listen to this, the necessary presence of others in our journey of faith. When my minister, she said, was about seven years old, her best friend got lost one day. The little girl ran up and down the street to the big town where they lived, but she could not find a single landmark and she was frightened. She was scared, but finally a policeman stopped to help her. He put her in the passenger seat of the car And they drove around town until she finally saw the church. And when she saw the church, little girl pointed it to the policeman and she told him firmly, you can let me out now. This is my church and I can always find my way home from here. And Lamont further writes, and that is why I have stayed so close to my church. Because no matter how bad I'm feeling, how lost or lonely or frightened, when I see the faces of people at my church and I hear their voices, I can always find my way home. That's how much we need one another. There's a subtle danger in forsaking or avoiding our responsibility to assemble together. Secondly, and I'll move quickly through this one, the crucial nature of embracing our responsibility. Notice again, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the matter of some, but look at this, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. 
The author here has a sense of urgency because some have made it a habit. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some have. It has become a habit for some. Some have made the gathering a lesser priority. Here, it is crucial to understand the purpose of gathering. It's not for us. You don't gather for yourself. You don't don't gather so you can get something. I mean, people all the time, the excuse is, I don't really need that. Or I don't really care for the music. Or I don't really care for all that history that Pastor Kevin gives in the sermons. Or I can pray and worship at home. Now, you can do all of that stuff. But it's not about you. We don't gather for us. The purpose of gathering, the purpose of the church is for each other. It's to exhort one another. And when we think about the word exhort, we can think about the full range of meaning. The word exhort is parakaleo. It's where we get paraclete. The the Holy Spirit, the comforter, Jesus calls the paraclete, the parakaleo, the one who comes alongside us to correct us to comfort us, to encourage us, to warn us, to cheer us. That's why we gather. That's why we exhort parakaleo one another, encourage and warn and cheer. It's not about us. It's about doing this for one another. So what is the uh, specific nature of our exhortation, our parakaleo? We are encouraging one another that Christ is enough. That he will meet your need. That the magnitude of blessings and rewards are ours if we will draw near to him, the writer of Hebrews says, and not shrink back. That's why we come together to cheer one another on and say, you can experience all that God has for you if you will draw near and not shrink back. I found this story. I found it interesting. It was on a drizzly afternoon in early 2015. This is kind of funny that seven people gathered for Washington, D.C.'s newest group, and it was called the Quitters Club. And the tagline to this new club was, let's give up on our dreams together. One attendee was ready to cast aside her long-held ambition to become an actress. Some, same deal for a would-be writer. She was ready to quit. Another was ready to quit Washington, D.C. altogether. And the hodgepodge of strangers that gathered were drawn together by the same invite that read, most of us have something special we'd like to do with our lives. At the Quitters Club, we can help each other stomp out the brush fires set in our hearts and get on with our lives and quit those things that will never be. The founder was Justin Cannon, and he had quit all sorts of things. Filmmaking, he quit music. He quit graphic design. He was tortured by the dueling forces of grand ambition and intense self-doubt. Most often, the battle left him frozen and discouraged. At one point, Cannon expressed his growing exasperation. I was like, we should have a group where people want to give up on their dreams. I was making a joke, he recalls. Somebody said, you know, that's a really good idea. Let's get a club together of people that want to quit. So a few days later, Cannon said, I took action. I posted a note on Meetup for his new group. He thought he might be forming a club of one. But within 48 hours, 35 people had signed up. And they gathered, and for the next two hours, one after another, the attendees expressed their dreams and their inability to make progress. 
But surprisingly, they end up, ended up encouraging each other to persevere. The actress, they decide she should give it one last hard push for a year before tossing her ambitions off the stage. The unhappy Washingtonian should look for a new job before giving up on the city altogether. The writer whose day job is getting in the way of her artistic pursuits should carve out time each day for her passions. Here we are at the Quitters Club, and we're all encouraging each other to keep going, one attendee mused. I knew that was going to happen, Cannon said, and they're going to meet again the following month to continue in their quest to help people quit or as it turns out, to keep on trying. In reality, that's a, one of the main reasons we want to gather together to exhort one another to keep on moving forward. There's something powerful about the gathering of the people of God. People are encouraged. They don't quit. They see one another's face. They hear the prayers. They hear the worship. And they are encouraged to persevere. It is crucial that we accept our responsibility to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And number three, and finally, the powerful motivation for accepting our responsibility, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. Look at it one more time. As is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And look at this last phrase, and so much more, so much more, as you see the day approaching. The day, the return of Christ is a great motivation for the people of God to be about their business. Peter wrote these words, Therefore, since all of these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming and the day of God, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with heat. There's a sense in which these words of Peter are both a hope for us, the coming of Christ, and also a warning that it will be a day of judgment. Unfortunately, listen closely to this, and I'm going to bring this to a close shortly, but I want you to get this. Unfortunately, this motivation has been misunderstood, and it's been misused throughout the history of the church. It has led to short-term salvations or pseudo-salvations. People saved out of fear. And they come to church only as long as they're frightened. When everything goes back to normal, their commitment fades away. The motivation should not be fear, but it should be faith. You see, the more you, as you see, notice the word see, I put it in all bold letters, the more exhort one another even more as you see the day approaching. When 9-11 happened, people became fearful and they came to the church for a few weeks. Same thing we see, you watch social media, it's happening today. People are questioning, aren't these the signs of the times? My theology tells me that the Bible is pretty clear. It's not about the signs of the times. It's about his word. Heaven and earth will pass away. The signs will come and go. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. We are to live by faith, even more as you see the day approaching. 
Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9. This is powerful. Get this. If you get nothing else, I want you to get this. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not see, yet see, all things put under him. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. You see, the natural eyes don't see it yet. But by faith, we see Jesus enthroned already. The kingdoms of this world have not yet become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. But the more we have faith, the more we see him enthroned, the more we see the day by faith approaching, the more we want to encourage one another. Because when we see him on the throne, it's on the throne that he watches us. It's on the throne that he prepares to return. It's on the throne that he judges us and that he warns us and he prepares us for his return. Look at this statement. We have lived our lives trying to time our passions and our holiness around his expected return rather than live our lives every day with an absolute certainty that he is exalted and his eyes are upon us. It's my statement. Let me paraphrase my statement. We've spent most of our time trying to time things, get holy enough before Jesus comes back, be passionate enough before he returns. That's almost how we preached it. And we, we've led a lot of people into this pseudo walk with Christ instead of living our lives every day with the certainty he's already on the throne. The more we see him on the throne, the more we see him exalted, the more we see him sovereign. It doesn't take that, oh, I've got to get ready before he returns. The more I see he is enthroned and exalted, the more I will assume my responsibility. And I will exhort you. And you will exhort me. This should be our motivation to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together so that we can cheer one another on. Kay Warren, who is the uh, wife of Pastor Rick Warren, wrote in Christianity Today, Warrens have been through a lot, the loss of their son. They've been through some difficult times. She wrote these words, heading home to California, a friend and I passed through the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. On the way to the connecting gate, uh, we heard loud patriotic music playing, and we saw a group, mostly women, they were wearing colorful hats, cheering and waving American flags. The troops were coming home. And here was their welcoming committee. Two women encouraged us to grab flags and join in. We were early for our next flight, so we took our places in this makeshift greeting line. At first, there were just a few soldiers that dribbled by. We whooped and we waved our flags furiously. Then the pace picked up as dozens of men and women in uniform came barreling through. We kept repeating, welcome home. We're glad you're back. We appreciate you. Some soldiers wiped away tears and 
Others displayed huge self-conscious smiles. After 45 minutes, Kay Warren said it was time to catch our flight. And we hugged the organizers and we thanked them for inviting us to be a part of welcoming this generation of soldiers. And then we sank into our seats on the airplane. And as we did, we felt humbled for having the opportunity to participate, she writes, in this sweet moment of coming home. She goes on to say, it was impossible not to draw the obvious spiritual parallels. These men and women had taken oaths of faithfulness and service. They had fought courageously. They had lived with deprivation, danger, and disease, and they had taken unbelievable risk, all for the good of our nation. But as great as America is, Kay Warren writes, it is a temporary place. No nation lives forever. As believers in Christ, we are all soldiers in the Lord's army. We too take oaths of fidelity and sacrifice and service. Our oaths of allegiance are to a kingdom that shall never end. A country where there is never a mistake in leadership, where justice flows down like a river, where poverty and disease and terror and hunger and greed hold no power. Scripture teaches us, she writes, about the welcome and rewards we will receive when our battle on earth is over. Artists, writers, and theologians have all taken stabs at imagining what those moments of heavenly welcome will look like. That afternoon, we were visualizing the very moment when we would step into eternity. As my friend Elizabeth and I looked at each other, the same thought crossed our minds. Through misty eyes, she said, if I get there first, I'll be on your welcoming committee. I'll be jumping up and down, screaming, you made it. I'm so proud of you. And I laughed and said, oh, you're not going to beat me. I'll be there before you. I'm older than you. I'll be at the head of a line and to greet you. In that moment, in that moment, she wrote, heaven was more real than the smell of the stale coffee in our phone cups. What I'm really wondering about is this. Will we be surprised at who gets the biggest welcome? I'm not coveting more high fives, but I'm dimly aware of something so profound and holy that I can barely put it into words. All of us fight unseen battles every day. Each believer is a secret soldier locked in battle with forces that no one else can see. The bravest among us are not necessarily those who fight with guns or tanks. The bravest person you know might be your husband or your wife or your neighbor or your coworker who goes on living one more day with every bone in his or her body says it's no use. How much could we lighten the load for one another just by telling them now how brave we think they are? Oh, to be so merciful with fellow soldiers fighting their personal hidden wars. Best of all, how much better when we bring undisclosed struggles into the community where victories can be celebrated together great losses mourn together and where whoops of encouragement can provide even the most weary soldier the courage it takes to keep on keeping on one more day. But we can't do it if we're not together. We see him exalted knowing that one day we will be with him. It should motivate us 
to come alongside one another and share them on. Father, I thank you for your word today. And I thank you, Lord, that we are cheered on by your presence. We look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. And you call us on to endure. But you invite us to participate in that with one another. You call us to encourage and cheer on one another in this race. And I pray, God, that we would be so attuned to that call. That we would be so challenged by that word. That when we have opportunity again together, that we would not neglect, we would not become sluggish, we would not have poor priorities. Instead, we would not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But instead, we would look for opportunities to be the parakaleo, to be the encourager, the one who cheers on others in this race. And I pray, Lord, today there may be some listening who don't know you, some watching today that have never committed their lives to Christ, maybe who feel like they're part of the quitters club, maybe even some who have tried to serve you and then quit. I pray, God, today that they would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit encouraging them not to quit, but to try again, to get back on the track. And I pray, Lord, for those who have never jumped on that track, I pray even right now they would simply pray, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to serve you. I believe you died for me, and now I want to give my life to you. Speak to them today. And, Lord, I pray those listening to me who just need encouraged, We're not together today, but they can hear my voice. And may they take confidence and hope and assurance in the voice that says, keep on. Don't quit. Don't become weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you don't faint. Let us as the people of God encourage one another and cheer one another on as we see the day approaching. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for um, being with us today. We want to invite you to, um, first of all, if you prayed with me and maybe you accepted Christ, or maybe you made a new commitment to Christ today, would you call us or email us and let us know we want to pray with you. We'll give you a call and do anything we can to help you. Hope that you'll stick around with us. We're going to have a time of worship. We have just a couple of announcements we want to share with you. And then we're going to have a time of worship. And I I trust that you'll stick around. Great music, a great time of praise and worship. And we encourage you to stay with us. But thank you for being with us today. God bless you.